All right, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Uh, I don't always do double solo episodes on the show in a given week, but there's been some things that have been happening that, well, I was so interested in it that I thought, you know what, we got to talk about this. We're going to be talking about, or rather tackling, a very common expression in today's business world, the expression of nobody wants to work anymore. Now, this is a fairly somewhat incendiary phrase, I guess. It seems to really um, get people up and going whenever we talk about this conversation of do people, in fact, want to work anymore? So we're going to be diving into that today, chatting about it. Uh, It may actually surprise you what some of the data tells us about this phrase, All that and more is on today's episode, but first, a quick break, and we'll be right back soon. So I mentioned in the intro that we typically the way the pacing goes for a typical week of the podcast is we usually have a guest episode on the podcast. It's usually towards the start of the week. Uh, around the middle of the week, we have a solo episode where I tackle a different concept. And then by the end of the week, we do some combination of the two. But it's rare that I get so feisty that I want to hit record for the, for a second time in a given week. All that to say, um, we got a little bit to talk about today. So someone sent to me a clip an interview with someone else um, on this whole conversation of basically the state of the work week. Now, we are going to be talking today about something that I mentioned in the intro. It's a bit incendiary. There's a lot to be said about this. In fact, there I have just found that there are certain topics on the podcast that get people worked up more than other topics. Um, You know, when I talk about, uh, shoot, I don't know, niching down, there's no real controversy to that. There may be some small disagreements. There may be like different approaches that people have. But when I say like, hey, let's talk about how do you niche out your business? People for the most part are like, yeah, okay, makes sense. Then there's other topics that I have just learned over the years gets people fired up. In fact, my newsletter this week, I put it out on this topic of um, why nobody wants to work anymore. And immediately, literally, I sent it out. Immediately, I got an unsubscribe on my, my mailing list, which back in the day when I was a bit smaller, I'd always email those people and just be like, hey, sorry the, pod, or sorry the newsletter wasn't a good fit for you. Let me know if you ever you know, need anything from me. I so appreciate you, you know, following me. You know, I just try to like be like very polite. Nowadays, I, just, I don't even like, you know, do much with it. But I sent out this newsletter talking about this topic of nobody wants to work anymore. I immediately got an unsubscribed. Then I got a couple of texts from people either joking or playing fun about it. And so... I've just learned there's some topics that tend to get people fired up more than others. And here's what I can tell you. If you if you haven't followed the podcast long term, if you haven't followed me long term, then a quick disclaimer, I do not consider myself a political person at all whatsoever. In fact, if you talk about like civic engagement, I'm probably the poster boy for maybe a bad citizen. I don't know. Um, I'm, I am fairly disinterested with politics in general. Uh, and I have various feelings for that. Um, you know, I have various justifications for that, but in general, I, I just, I simply do not really follow politics at all whatsoever. 
So whenever I talk about this kind of topic, I feel like I have to give a disclaimer to people who haven't followed the podcast long term that this today's episode is not a talking point for or against your political group. Today's talking point, like any other episode on the podcast, at the end of the day, it is simply about doing good business. That is all there is to it. I have no agenda. I I didn't watch a news bit and then was like, I'm going to share. I'm going to be a keyboard warrior and talk about this. Like, and and for those of you who followed me long-term, like this is just like, you're just like, yes, totally. hundred percent. That's, that's Blake. But again, if you're following me short-term, you can just know that's my disclaimer. And if it's hard for you to process it in unpolitical terms or non-political terms, excuse me, I would just encourage you, Hey, as we listen through this conversation, as we chat through this conversation today, I would encourage you to take off your political hat for a moment and let's just have an honest conversation. This isn't the first time I've had to give this disclaimer. It's rare, by the way, that I feel like I need to, but I remember there was a few years ago that I did a podcast episode called, Should You Pay Your People More? And the reason this episode had come up was I I was talking to somebody who was a business owner. And she said, Blake, um, I need help figuring out how to pe- how to pay my people less than minimum wage. And it, it threw me from the get-go. She was like, I need to figure out, I need you to help me figure this out. I need to pay my people less than minimum wage. And I said, well, uh, you mean more than minimum wage? And she goes, no, I need to figure out how to pay them less than minimum wage. I mean, seriously, like it, it's killing me right now. I got to figure out how to pay them less. And I was like, well, why do you think you can pay less than minimum wage? And she was like, well, I know there's a lot of like legal loopholes. Like, I was hoping maybe you like knew a thing or two about this. And I was like, no, that's, that one's pretty cut and dry. Um, it is the law. You have to pay a minimum wage. And back then, this conversation was on, I think, like seven twenty-five an hour or something like that. And so she's like, well, I mean, I, I, I literally cannot pay more. Like, it's, it's killing me. And I was like, well, why not? Why can't you pay more than minimum wage? And she was like, well, because my business can't afford it. My business is really struggling. And she ran a pet store and was just having a really hard time with her revenue. And uh, But she was like, you know, I can't be there every day. So I need my employees to run the business and yada, yada, and all these different things. And so the concept that I was trying to help her understand was, look, if your business cannot even pay minimum wage, there is something deeply wrong and broken with your business that is preventing you from actually running this operation at scale. Like, like, and I don't know how the pet store industry works, but knowing that there are some out there that exist, (laughs) whatever you're doing is, is broken and you're doing this in the wrong order. Like you don't, you don't, I remember there was a guy who um, he ran a travel agency very briefly before it went out of business. And from the get go, he hired like 20 employees and in chatting with him, it was like, you've done this out of order. You don't start a business and hire a bunch of people. You, unless you're getting like outside funding and like this things, you're scaling it up from the get go. I said, you, 
you you validate your offer, you make sure you're offering something that people will pay for, you build your sales pipeline, and from there, you build processes and structure that allow you then to scale. And included in that is this conversation of hiring people on and delegating things out so that you can then focus on other things so you can raise you know, your impact and the number of customers you can serve in a given week. So, you know, we, I was explaining to her, okay, we've, we've done things. Some things are broken here, right? Wallace to say, had this conversation, couldn't really get her to understand where I was coming from. And I did this podcast episode, I don't know, three, four, five years ago that was called, uh, should you pay your people more money? Uh, I think it was called that actually. Well, I put out, and this is all in the conversation, by the way, of people who get, um, who think I'm trying to be political when I'm not. So I put out this episode and I immediately, I think it was an email or maybe it was a text. I can't remember, but I immediately got a message. It was maybe the same day, maybe the day after from somebody who they said, Hey, I checked out your latest episode. And I said, Oh, great. Thanks so much. And they said, um, I had no idea you had become such a socialist. And I was like, oh, um, interesting. I, I didn't consider myself a socialist either. But this person had listened to the episode and felt like I was, I, I guess, being um, ambitious about the socialist platform which literally, if you go back and listen to the episode, it is, should you pay people more money? Yes, you should. The reason why is because if you want your employees to be high performing, then you have to be able to enable them to be innovative, creative, uh, all these different things. And it's hard to do that when you're simply focused on where does your next meal come from? Like, when, when are you going to eat again? Like, how are you going to pay your rent? It's hard for people to elevate themselves when they literally don't have their basic needs met. So that, that was literally the whole point of the podcast. And yet it pissed this person off where, you know, Blake, I didn't know you were such a socialist, which I mean, is just very funny to me. So I, I have just learned that over the years of podcasting, as someone who is, in my mind, extremely apolitical, that people will often try to lump me into either their own ideology, their own bucket, their own whatever, or they will immediately try to lump me into an opposing ideology or what have you. And, and so all that to say, that's my long-winded disclaimer of an encouragement or really an ask for you not to do that with me today. But again, just to take off the political hat, you know, so much of our conversation on social media and with, you know, different people is so politically driven. Like let's have just a conversation about business and let all that other stuff be on the wayside. So, excuse me, having said that, I want to talk about this conversation of honestly, is it true that people don't want to work anymore? Is that true? Can we have an honest conversation about this? What is true about our society today? And if you are a business owner, if you're running a business, what does this mean for your employees? Now, another quick disclaimer, the people that I know who are already running a business at scale, they're already managing several employees, maybe several dozen employees. This conversation is a non-issue to them. There's very little 
um, they're already putting in the work to show value to their people, to manage them correctly, to manage them well. And so they, they really aren't even wasting time on this conversation. However, you know, if, if let's say maybe you've been struggling to hire well, or maybe you in the future anticipate hiring, this is an important conversation to have. So bringing this all back to why we're recording this episode today, the reason we're recording this episode, a friend of mine, he sent me a video and he said, I think, I think you, you might like this. So, you know, and, and I get videos every now and then, and, um, some of them are pretty interesting. Some of them are just like, you know, whatever they're cool. Well, this one immediately I watched it and I was shocked. I mean, I was really incredibly shocked watching this, what this person had to say. Now, this is a, I believe this was a real estate guy out of um, Australia who runs a, a business. He runs uh, the Gurner Group. His name's Tim Gurner. He's the founder and the CEO. Now, I won't give you more info about him because I don't want to bias you on this video before you watch it, even though I've pretty much already told you it's shocking. So I guess it's a moot point. I guess I might as well tell you then. Now, this guy a few years ago was interviewed about the future economy. And this was back in, I guess, I don't know what year this was, maybe 2018 that he said this. But he was interviewed and said, you know, what do you think about the youth today and all these kind of things? And this guy... um, said basically, well, I think we're moving to a day where um, our younger generations will never own a home. And the interviewer said, oh, why is that? And he said, well, because they spend $45 on coffee and avocado toast, which again, this is a very cliche, um, common complaint about, and, and here's the deal. Maybe, maybe my angle today is I'm so tired of being oppressed as, as you know, someone's millennial of millennials are so this, and actually it's kind of nice. Cause now people are ripping on Gen Z. So I get a little bit of the, the pressure off my back, but this whole, like, you know, spending all this money on avocado toast and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, we get it. So anyway, this person was being interviewed and let's go ahead. Let's play the clip. Let's listen to this and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. It's about a minute long. We'll listen to it and then we will chat. Now, let me check my audio here. Um, give me one second. We'll watch this. If, you know, we, we have people decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID. And that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity you know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years, and we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. So. It's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude, and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the the world is trying. Jeez. Okay. So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot to talk about in this video. In this video, and by the way, I'll have this video. Um, I'll put it on my social media as well, if you want to check it out for yourself, or you can just simply Google um, Tim Gurner, G U R N E R, Tim Gurner unemployment, or something like that, and it'll pop up. So here you have this guy who let's let's kind of just break down what was said. 
you have this guy who said, uh, COVID happened. People didn't want to go back to work. Nobody wants to work anymore. People are getting paid a lot to do not to do not very much. Um, and let's, let's start there, by the way, let's start there. So is it true that there are people who used COVID as an opportunity to get a free pass and not work? Yes. Is it true that people, many people, are incredibly lazy? Yes. Is it true that many people are extremely entitled? Yes. Is it true that people mooched off free support, that some people mooched off free support through COVID? Yes. Is it also true that business owners cheated the system and took an enormous amount of money fraudulently fraudulently from the government? Also true. And I make that point because people like to portray the whole COVID thing as all about the employees and what they did wrong and all this kind of stuff. And it, it gets a bit tiresome because there's, you know, there's corruption from the top down. Okay. So let's just get all those things out of the way. So before I say anything, I'm not, you know, saying that there aren't people out there. I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who abuse the system. There are plain and simple. There are. However, I have seen this conversation happen where, People like to talk about COVID, people who experience COVID as now being entitled, as now being um, all these different things. I mean, you heard you heard the video yourself. And I want to pause it for a second because I, I just don't know if it's true. Here's what I do know is that COVID, show, COVID showed us one thing. It's that remote work was, in fact, possible. Remote work was, in fact, doable. And ironically enough, um, or rather coincidentally enough, right before COVID, it was like January or February, I was giving in-person presentations to local businesses on innovation. I think the, the presentation was called, I think, Innovation in the Workplace. And the whole thing that I was telling these local businesses was, hey, you might want to rethink how you do business. And by the way, this is something really cool that came out of COVID was that there were businesses who, who said things weren't profitable, things weren't possible, and yet COVID caused these things to be possible. One perfect example of this is to your door grocery delivery. This Walmart and whoever else said this wasn't doable, wasn't financially possible pre-COVID. And interestingly enough, this is now a thing you can get same day delivery of your groceries. I think sometimes we have these things, these technologies that are so normal in our day-to-day lives that we forget that five years ago, this did not exist at all. By the way, a friend of mine, Joshua Ayers, who was on the podcast, you can check out his episode. It was maybe like four or five episodes ago. He ran a startup in uh, before COVID that was basically to your door grocery delivery and investors uh, investors basically told him it's never going to work. It's never going to happen. So here he is now being like, man, why didn't I start this after COVID? Little little note about timing there. So we had things that we didn't think were possible. And one of the things that I talked about in giving these presentations in these workplaces was businesses that had become billion dollar businesses, despite not having any kind of physical location, businesses that had exploded pre COVID that were doing amazingly well without having 
a physical location. And I actually had someone on the podcast who um, we chatted about this, this guy, Connor Gillivan, uh, Gillivan, he ran a business called freeup.com. It was a freelancer website. And I asked him, I was like, and which by the way, he then went on to sell. He's doing really well for himself now. But I asked him like, well, how do you run a business? And if you're not there in person, and he was like, well, I mean like team meetings, you just, we just do it via Skype. You know, when we connect with people, we just, we chat via Slack. I mean, it's really not any different. You just aren't working shoulder to shoulder with someone. uh, And you just have to be more intentional with connecting with people. And he made it sound so simple. And that was kind of what spurred on this whole presentation thing. So anyway, I was presenting to businesses on these other businesses that were billion dollar businesses that didn't have any location, were working remotely to basically be like, hey, rethink how you do business. Well, coincidentally enough, then COVID happened and many people had to learn simply how to do business differently. So in that, a multitude of businesses realized that, hey, I don't necessarily have to have the expense of of a massive office space. I don't necessarily have to spend the overhead that comes with all of the physical space that I need. I can actually run this thing and utilize technology and cut down on my costs significantly. And then additionally, we found that some people were actually more productive through at-home work, meaning that if, if I'm no longer driving two hours a day to go to work, how much more am I able to accomplish then uh, without having to do that commute? Uh, these things that we kind of just accepted as the norm that we realized, oh, wow, we can actually do a lot more when we don't have these things on our plate. So all this to say, this whole conversation on nobody wants to work anymore, you know, people realize they didn't have to do anything, that we, we made them go back to work, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I think it's very interesting that the implication there is you have to be present in an office to be successful. And in fact, I would argue it's an extremely dated philosophy. And, and I would also say that, and this kind of brings me to my next point that many times this says more about the leader and their inability to manage effectively then it really does say anything about a particular uh, employee. I think that there's many middle managers out there who they don't know how to hold people accountable. They don't know how to have candid conversations when someone's underperforming. And by the way, this isn't something I think, this is something that I know because I, I have had this conversation a million times with my customers and with other people. But so because they, there is a expertise gap in a manager's leadership affinity, well, it's the George Costanza effect. It's, I don't know how to do this, but if I look busy enough as a middle manager, then I will be seen as doing my job. So let me go look busy. Let me make the rounds to people's offices. Let me make the rounds to people's desks. Hey, it's, it's honestly, it's the office space thing where, um, Lundberg shows up and he's like, you know, sipping his coffee and like, Hey, can you work on those TPS reports? That'd be great. And you know, it's a lot of wasted time. I mean, it's honestly, um, I, I think when people start thinking about managing people without them physically being present, frankly, a lot of people seem to kind of lose their mind. But the second part of this video is what's very troubling to me, very disturbing to me. Um, I would say sociopathic to me. 
this conversation in the video about we need to make people hurt. We need to make unemployment rise. We need to, there needs to be pain in the economy. There needs to be, excuse me, let me get a glass, a drink of water here real quick. Excuse me. We need to have unemployment rising 40 to 50%. People realize, you know, kind of beating out that arrogance, helping people know that you work for me and not the other way around. This is, I'm just going to be really cut and dry. This is a pretty disgusting philosophy of leadership and management. It really is. And actually it goes against everything, everything that's been done in the leadership and management space in the last 20 years, everything we've learned, it flies in the face of it. It goes directly against um, everything that we've learned and talked about. Uh, Gallup, a major research institution that has been has been serving people in the leadership space for years, they came out with a book ten years ago called "It's the Manager," and it looks at businesses that underperform and why they aren't doing well. And surprise, the answer is it's the manager. Every time there's a bad business, there's a bad boss leading that business. In the same way, 20 years ago, maybe 20 years plus now at this point, uh, one of my all-time favorite books, Good to Great by Jim Collins, he talks about how whenever a business is flourishing, is because there's a great leader at the top. And similarly, when the business is deeply struggling, it is the, the boss who's at the top. So all of the stuff we've learned in the leadership space tells us about how to manage people how to manage people well, how to lead people well. What does it mean to empower your employees? How do you get the most out of your employees? Which by the way, is actually less about cracking a whip and it's shocker of a thought. It's finding out what motivates them, what they care about, giving them a chart forward for their own professional journey. Like these are things that have now become so intuitive for how to do business well, how to manage your people well, that it's fairly disturbing that someone would so confidently talk about my employees work for me. Uh, if they think otherwise, they need to experience real pain. And then also another reason why I'm really bothered by this is there's a housing crisis in America. Um, there are um, people who are um, actually, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say this statistic without fact checking myself. So I'm actually not going to say it, but I'll say anecdotally, uh, I know people who have been less motivated to have children uh, because of the financial burden that comes with having kids, um, which, you know, I love, I love my kids. I love that I had my kids. Um, so I mean, to each their own, but I also understand someone being like, oh, I don't know, man. I mean, let's talk about the price of eggs. We joked about it on the podcast uh, several months ago about how it's more advantageous to rob someone of their chicken and face the fine for it than it is to actually pay like the higher prices of eggs on a week to week basis. By the way, it's just a joke. Don't, don't actually go out and rob someone's chicken. Um, but you know, the, the economy is in a pretty wild place already. People are already experiencing this deep pain. In fact, um, if you look at the state of the United States in terms of our housing crisis, you may not know this, but this is something that I read early this year. Uh, actually, maybe I, it was, in fact, I think this might've been true last year, uh, but it's still true now this year. There is not a city in our country 
where a minimum wage earner can afford a one-bedroom living space. So I'll say that again. There's not a city in our country where someone earning minimum wage can actually afford to live and pay for their rent. Not a single city. In fact, if you look, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the map right now. You can find this map in my article, by the way. This also comes from the National Low Income Housing Coalition, uh, where they examined the average price of um, a rental. It looks like Arkansas is one of the cheapest. Um, Arkansas, I'm just looking at this map. It looks like Arkansas is the cheapest, ironically enough. I keep using those words interchangeably incorrectly. It's not ironic. It's coincidental because we live here. <laughs> okay. I think it is Arkansas looking at this map to afford a one bedroom house or rental. Excuse me. You need to make 1627 an hour minimum wage in Arkansas. I think is $11 an hour. I think so. You could work 40 hours a week. And if it's at minimum wage, you would not be able to afford your home. That's not to mention the price of food, uh, which that's a whole nother conversation. Holy smokes, guys, the price of food right now is insane. I don't know if you caught my other episode, but I talked about how I went to Taco Bell and it was $17 for a number seven and a cheesy gordita crunch, $17. Meanwhile, there's a restaurant right next door called CJ's. They have an amazing burger, a two thirds quarter, a two thirds pounder burger, Every topping on it, also $17. And they they grind their beef in-house. Um, and it's an amazing place. And here I am thinking, like, what's the what like what's going on with prices right now? Like what something weird is happening right now that, you know, without being like um conspiratorial of like, you know, what's did the Taco Bell, you know, get together with other fast food chains and like, like what's going on here? But there's something weird going on where prices are pretty wild. But so if you work a minimum wage job at 40 hours a week and um, you try to eat food, <laughs> if you eat something, uh, you are SOL. You are out of luck entirely. Now, not trying to get into, I feel like anytime I bring this up, I get so many, I'm just gonna be kind of honest. They're, they are a little bit obnoxious here. And here's like my bias. My bias is I, I just deeply believe in the dignity of every human being. I believe that people, there are just some things that people should have the ability to experience. And, and frankly, I, I just, as a Christian, as a Christian person, I think about who Jesus talked about the most in the Bible. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the poor, the poor get mentioned a lot, man. He, he talks about the poor a lot. So I feel like, you know, Jesus and I were a little bit in sync when I think about the poor and I'm like, okay, those in poverty, they, this bothers me. This upsets me that there are people who can't afford to live somewhere. And there's a lot to be said about the dignity of a human being, the value of a human soul. You know, how much do we value a human soul? And if I deeply value someone's soul, which I, I say that intentionally, I'm not talking about someone's body. I'm talking about like literally everything that's encapsulated into who they are. I cannot help 
but be bothered by the fact that someone can't afford a place to live. I just can't. That's it, it, just it's just bottom line. Okay, so if that's if that if that sets off your political bells and whistles, then I guess I'm okay with fighting you on that one. So anyway, you know, I I just think that if someone works a 40 hour job, they should be able to pay for a place to live. You know, and and. Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking at this chart, just kind of shocked by it, honestly. So, you know, talking about pain in the economy, I'm like, dude, there's already so much pain in the economy. There's already so much pain. And there's already people who are just struggling to make it. And honestly, you know, if you guys haven't been following this stuff long-term, which I have, I've been in the leadership and management space for a long time, long time, unofficially about 15 years, more officially, uh, I have a master's in education uh, with a focus on teaching leadership. Uh, I'm also a PhD candidate at the U of A, uh, which PhD candidate means I finished all my coursework and I'm just waiting to finish the dissertation to get my PhD. Uh, but that's an educational leadership and policy. So basically leadership in the educational space. Uh, and then also very literally, I do leadership consulting services with my businesses and with my business. And I've done it previously at my previous job, which was also a leadership consulting company. So like, just understand this isn't something, this isn't like a, you know, I feel oppressed as a millennial and I have to like, you know, defend myself. Like this is deep research in this kind of stuff, but this whole conversation about, especially when we get to like the conversation about generations and like, Oh, this generation, they don't know how good they have it. And yada, yada, you know, what all that's kind of stuff. Well, in 2013 time magazine posted a cover article on millennials and it was titled the me, me, me generation. Millennials are lazy entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. <laughs> uh, and there was a little bit of a twist to it. It was like, why will they save us all? It was all about like, you know, the digital world, stuff like that. But I just think it's funny. You know, we're the me, me, me generation. We're lazy entitled narcissists, uh, which is not unlike what's being said about Gen Z now. But then I found this article about baby boomers from uh, this guy named Tom Wolf who wrote, it's a picture of baby boomers, and it's called The Me Decade. I'm like, man, we really, it's so funny how as, time, as, as I get older, I really realize how things really don't change. We really just love saying the same thing over and over again. And when you start to see this, by the way, you start to realize that you're really not living in like this iconic, disruptive time when like, wow, like, the work culture has always been like hardworking people. And it's just been in the last, since the rise of social media and the last 20 years, people are so lazy. I mean, honestly, you could say that, but you'd be wrong. In fact, in this article I posted on LinkedIn, I found this picture of uh, the times this conversation of nobody wants to work anymore has shown up in publications and it goes all the way back to 1894 In 1894, someone wrote, it is becoming apparent that nobody wants to work during these hard times. In 1905, someone wrote, no one wants to work for wages. In 1916, is the reason there's food scarcity is that no one wants to work as hard as they used to. In 1922, it's because nobody wants to work anymore unless they, and it, it dribbles off after that. Um, 1937, nobody wants to work anymore. There is work. However, people don't want to do it. I mean, this like literally every 10 years, every 15 years, there's another major publication about, yeah, no one wants to work anymore. So like when you start to see this data, I mean, uh, I th here's one 2014, what's happened to the work ethic in America? 
Nobody wants to work anymore. It's not always been this way. When I was first a teenager, I saw people working hard. I mean, you see these things being said since the late 1800s and probably before that, this is just the last, you know, record we have of people saying it. It starts to kind of, like I said, it takes you out of this realization of like, we're living in this iconic period and instead realizing, okay, I'm starting to wonder if this is a talking point. I'm starting to wonder if this is just something that people like to say without giving much credibility to it. And it's kind of how, where I want to take this conversation as we wrap up today. Here's what I have learned is that people who tell me nobody wants to work anymore, usually it says more about them and their leadership style, then it really does say anything about their employees. Perfect example. I was talking to this woman. She had lost nine out of 12 employees in the previous year. They all quit. Nine out of 12 employees quit. And she said, you know what, man, millennials are tough. I mean, I, I just cannot find quality people. And I, you know, it's always funny when someone complains about millennials to me, because I'm like, well, I'm obviously a millennial, but sure. So she was like, it's, it's just impossible. It's impossible to find people who are, are hardworking. So I listened to her and I said, okay, well, here's what, it, here's what I've found to be true in my experience. When three fourths of your staff quit within a year, it's usually not them. Usually it's the boss. And she took that personal. <laughs> it's like I stepped on her dog. I mean, she was horrified. I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating for the sake of the story. It really wasn't that big of a deal. I could tell it offended her, though. I mean, she, she, she responded with something like, "You know, well, clearly we don't need to work together. If you're telling me it's my fault, then clearly we're not, we're not on the same page." Which to that, I was kind of just like, "Okay, <laughs> you got it." <laughs> But that's what I have found over the years is that it is incredibly difficult for us as people to have an honest, an honest look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that the issue really isn't my lazy employees. Really, the problem is me. I have found that it is almost impossible for some people to come to terms with that. I've told the story several times on the podcast and I'll be very brief on this one, but in addition to this, um, I had a guy who we did this 360 together, which is like this leadership tool to figure out what people think about you. And effectively what happened was um, his employees hated him. They hated working for him. And usually the way this process goes is you get a bunch of feedback from your employees and you realize, wow, I'm a bad boss. I want to start being a better boss. Well, in this person's case, he got all this feedback. And what he said to me was, wow, I need to fire these people. I need to fire these people. These people are idiots. I can't believe they think this about me. And I was like, you have such a great opportunity to learn something here. And yet your ego won't allow it. So at the end of the day, if you think your employees are really hard to manage, if you think they're impossible to lead, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably you. It's probably you. I have been in this leadership consulting space for eight years now. I, I can think maybe on one hand of situations where it really was the employees. In fact, I think of other events that I've been part of where people have really struggled in their business. Employees have really struggled where bosses have sent their employees to get leadership training and management training and all these things. 
only to find out in training those people that they're having a tough time because of the boss. They're having a tough time because their boss is um, unwilling to try new things, is a micromanager. I mean, you get the whole, you get the whole gamut there. Um, so that's my honest charge to you. That's that's honestly my it's what I want to that's what I want to leave you with. And I'll go back to what I said at the very start of this conversation. The people who did well during COVID, they were already managing their people well. Steve Blair was on the podcast um, a couple weeks ago. His business, Harvest Group, his former business, he's moved on since then, um, am- amicably moved on. Um, his business, Harvest Group, though, he crushed it. This business, Harvest Group, by the way, it's a local business, is so well-known for their incredible culture that I remember, I remember talking to people who were quitting their job and who were like, I want to go work at harvest group, not even really so much about what they do there, but because I've heard it's such a great place to work. So this business has been growing like crazy in the last several years. They're doing very well. Well, when it came to COVID, I mean, it it wasn't, oh gosh, I have to now manage these lazy losers. <laughs> it was, okay, we have to work from home and we need to figure this out. We need to figure out how to make this work. And it doesn't mean that they that that businesses aren't still figuring it out. And it doesn't mean that there aren't pain points that come with growing your business. For a business that's never utilized Slack ever, if you've never used a way to communicate with people apart from email, then getting on to Slack is going to feel very awkward and painful. It's going to, and like that's that's like when growth happens, is when you put yourself out of your comfort zone into a zone that you're uncomfortable in, that stretches you, that forces you to adapt and grow. These are things that are very good for you. Like, I, I mean, I've talked to people who, are terrified at the idea of going to a networking event and pitching their services. And typically what I say to them is like, man, I totally get it. You should still do it though. You should still do it because it puts you in a position where you have to really think about who you are and what you offer, even if it makes you uncomfortable to have to do that. I've known people who, uh, part of, of my work with my customers, we talk a lot about customer feedback and like getting feedback from your customers. And I've known people who've told me, well, Blake, I, I don't want to ask my customers what they think of me because what if they tell me something negative? And I'm like, but it's in those uncomfortable conversations that you do, you learn how to do business better. So if you're finding yourself in an uncomfortable situation, I don't, I don't know how to manage these people. You know, the world is different from how it was 10 years ago. Whatever the case may be, I would say lean into that. Lean into that because not only will it make you a better boss, your business will do better as well. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, hopefully I didn't frustrate you too much. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess we're probably on the same page, but... You know, you can always email me, Blake, at goodadvicecoaching.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Love to have a conversation. Um, Also, if you're following the podcast and you haven't clicked that old follow and subscribe button, make sure you're doing that so you're staying tuned with us. Uh, A little bit more about the podcast. If you want to support the podcast, we are coming up on five years of the podcast. We'll have some pretty cool stuff happening uh, this next month. And additionally, um, you can always support the podcast on our Patreon, patreon.com slash good advice. Or if you want to advertise your business, you can do so in uh, by emailing me again at blake at good So 
Uh, All that to say, hey, I appreciate you listening to my 40-minute rant on this topic. Let's go out and let's be better leaders. Let's be better managers. And let's just be known for taking care of our people well. I appreciate you guys. That's today's good advice. I'll catch you later. See ya.